Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Fantasy Forefront Podcast. I'm Anthony Amico. You can follow me on Twitter at Amixta. And my co-host is none other than Heath Kruger, who you can follow at Heath K. Heath, how's it going tonight? Oh, I'm excited. I'm excited. But you kind of came up with this one last minute. Um, sorry for the show being a day late. That is my fault. It's not Anthony's. So if you want to yell at somebody, yell at me over Twitter, uh, preferably out in the open so everyone can laugh at you. But uh, anyway, yeah, I'm really excited about the show tonight. It, it, allowed me, it allowed me to do a lot of research that I kind of use as an excuse to waste time at home, at work, kind of everywhere. But it's going to be hopefully uh, really informative and entertaining for you guys. Yeah, I think so too. Uh, today we're going to be talking about some Backfield situations in the NFC, we'll focus more obviously on the uh, situations that are a little more muddled, but we'll give you a brief glimpse of, of every backfield, uh, you know, in the NFC, and we'll talk about, you know, who you should be looking for, who you should be drafting, we'll try to sort out the situations as best we can in yeah, May. More, yeah, more, I just wanted to say, um, sorry for interrupting you, by the way, just more of kind of like an opportunity kind of thing. We have, we're not really at the point to where we're doing projections as of yet so uh it's more just kind of a breakdown of how we think the the depth chart's gonna you know work itself out the opportunities um you know carry total uh sorry target totals and and things of the like yeah so we'll get started and i think a really good spot to start is obviously the nfc east Mm -hmm. with the dallas cowboys yeah, so um, for some of these ones that are pretty clear, we're not going to spend a lot of time as we figure we'd spend more time on the much more muddled backfields. Um, Dallas Cowboys, it's pretty clear. Number four overall, Ezekiel Elliott. Um, you know, the, the depth chart as it stands right now is uh, Zeke Elliott, Darren McFadden, Alfred Morris, uh, your guy Darius Jackson. Um, I I guess we'll have to hear your opinion on him. I, I wasn't really kind of factoring him in, but we'll, we'll hear your opinion. And then Lance Dunbar, so... Just real quick, Dunbar, um, if you haven't heard, real serious injury that the team has not revealed, but our own Rotoviz doctor, Dr. Jeff Budoff, kind of, you know, put two and two together, and it kind of looks like he had a very, very serious injury that's going to be one that we'll be lucky if we see him on the field this season, um, if at all, ever again, given his kind of game. So I'm not expecting much from him, even though as much as I love Dunbar, but we got to kind of put him out the pasture, I think. Alfred Morris, non-factor. Um, Darren McFadden last season was pretty good, but relative to Zeke Elliott, it's I don't even think it's a conversation. It's, as long as Zeke Elliott is doing all the small things well, like pass protecting and the such, um, I, I'm expecting a a really high percentage of the of the snaps for Zeke Elliott. Oh, definitely, definitely. His uh, the weirdest thing about Elliott for me was that his like uh, like Vegas prop bet was like 900 rush yards. Mm-hmm. That just seems like way too easy to bet. So that's the only thing that has me like nervous. Because usually when Vegas does that, it's like, oh, like, you know, that's because everyone's going to bet the over and then he's not going to hit it or something. But could be them just kind of looking back at, you know, past rookies and having to set a reasonable line. Yeah, yeah, that's probably part of it too. Um, but I do like Derek Jackson, like you said. Just a, just a pure athlete. Right? Was not invited to the combine, but out of Eastern Michigan at his pro day, weighted 220, ran a 4-4. 174 explosion score, 11.16 agility. So just a really, really good athlete. We know how important that is to the running back position. Uh, that was obviously big for someone like David Johnson last year, coming from a smaller school. So uh, the fact that he's there, like I, I don't think that it impacts Elliott at all, but 
I do think that the fact that they would draft a second running back kind of says that one of Darren McFadden or Alfred Morris isn't going to be there once the season starts. So I think as uh, you know, as kind of the summer starts, uh, Zeke definitely is going to be the one, but I, I definitely think that one of McFadden or Morris is going to be cut to you know save some money, obviously, and and let Jackson move up a depth chart because I do think he's a talented player. Yeah, you might know, might be a nice handcuff depending on how training camp goes. Oh yeah, and in Dynasty, I'm a huge fan of like if you do have the one on one and you draft Zeke, uh, that like in the third round you you draft Jackson. Okay, um, I, I can get behind that. Yeah, I mean it's a weak class, you know, so why not? Yeah, we why can not? do worse than protect protecting the money. Yes. Um, <laughs> we'll move on to my Giants next. Uh, I'll talk about this one. Obviously, there's like two schools of thought, right? Like Paul Perkins was drafted, and I think a lot of people were like, "Oh yes, Paul Perkins, like he's gonna get all this work, like." He's better than everyone there. Like that running back situation is kind of a mess. Like I, I am of the the mentality that Paul Perkins is is just okay. Um, I don't really think that he's any better than Rashad Jennings, and, and I think Rashad Jennings honestly is like a little underrated overall. I agree. So when I look at kind of how this backfield is going to break down, like I still think Shane Vereen is the most valuable guy uh, because I do think that the Giants. If the Giants are coached, I'm talking about this on Twitter today. Like if the Giants are coached the way that they should be coached, like Shane Vereen will be on the field constantly because they'll be throwing the ball on like every play. That's what they should be doing. They should be doing like what New England's been doing and other good teams, like up tempo, throw the ball a lot. That's where their strengths are. Now, will they do that? I don't know. But if they do, I think that the upside for Vereen becomes pretty huge, especially with respect respect to the targets. Uh, he. You know, obviously received a, a ton of work last year in that area. I think he had like 13% of the targets. They have upgraded their receiver situation with Sterling Shepard, but I still think that Vereen is pretty clearly like their third best receiver. Um, and that's going to have some value. So I really like Vereen there. Uh, and I think past him, I still think that Jennings is going to get more work than Perkins. So, uh, maybe the presence of Perkins kind of just cancels out Jennings a little bit and they neither of them is really fantasy viable. I, I the guy that I really want here is Vereen. I guess that's kind of the bottom line. Yeah. Yeah, I was gonna say the exact same thing. Um the Giants last year, six overall and uh pass attempts to the running back position. Um yeah, Shane Vereen, it's they and they made it a clear point to really kind of get him heavily involved in the passing. I mean they get uh eighty one targets. Um it's pretty hefty and we know Rashad Jennings, he's he's pretty old. I, I I'm I'm in agreement with you that I think he's going to be the lead back. Um, but he's getting up there, 31 years old now, I believe. And they're not they didn't really get him as much involved in the passing as I thought they were going to be. Uh, last season, only saw 40 40 pass targets to you know Vereen's 81, and with this defense, probably going to be horrible again if I had to guess. You know they have a, a pass rusher with one hand. They have Eli Apple who's going to be just wandering around the field out there. It's it's going to be on the shoulders of Eli Manning to try to get this team. <laughs> oh, gosh. I have no idea what just happened. <laughs> no, nothing at all. Nothing at all. Um, yeah, it, it's going to be on the shoulders of Eli Manning to to hold his team up if they are going to compete in their division for uh, to get into the playoffs. So I'm expecting a ton of passes. And maybe Shepard doesn't come along it, it, as fast as some think, myself included, as uh, as fast as we think he will. Um, so he could actually be even be the number two as, um, I'm kind of one of those on the, on the side of just completely canceling out, uh, Victor Cruz at this point. I'm not expecting him to really ever make any sort of impact again. Oh, definitely not. He is, he is completely done. Like I, if, 
once the projection machine is updated and Victor Cruz is like no longer like the only wide receiver three option for me to put in, like I probably will just take him out. Like I don't even think he's gonna do much. Uh let's let's move on to Philly though. He uh interesting backfield, I think. I'm really interested to hear some takes from you on uh you know what they have to offer. Yeah, so Philadelphia, um kind of a big change going from Chip Kelly to Doug Peterson. I don't think he was the guy they preferred, but he's the guy they have. So if it's any indication how the Eagles are going to turn up, it's probably going to be um, really relying heavily on the running back position, especially with a, you know who they have at quarterback right now, Sam Bradford. Will he even make it six games into the season? I'm not sure before Carson wins. You know, and the kind of the reclamation project begins. And I think they're going to heavily rely on uh, a single back. Um, and that guy, to me, is going to be Ryan Matthews. Um, he, he's a do-all kind of back. He can carry between the tackles. Um, really good pass catcher, really underrated in that aspect. And I, and I see him getting a lot of touches. If this defense, with all the talent it has, can actually kind of pick itself back up. Um, I think it's one of the more talented units in the NFL. It's just It was just an absolute travesty last season with you know everything going on in the front office, Chip Kelly, and you know the infighting. I think that's much more of kind of the the instability of the organization much more than it was the actual defense that was on the field. So, so yeah, I'm actually really high on Ryan Matthews this year. Uh, Darren Sproles, I think he's going to be the one I'm kind of I'm looking at the most from this backfield because if he stays on the team, that's going to really cut into Ryan Matthews and Wendell Smallwood's value a ton. I think um, because I. Last season, he pulled 83 targets from that that Chip Kelly offense. Now, will they see as many targets as the Eagles saw last uh, last season to the running back position, which was actually number one in the NFL at 178 passes to running backs? Um, I don't know. I don't know. I, there's a lot of trade rumors going on, so he might not even be on the team. You know, when um, things kind of get going in in the summer months, but yeah, and. I'm looking at Wendell Smallwood as kind of a guy, I, he's a wild card to me as Ryan Matthews has not been the picture of health throughout his entire career. I think he's had one season where he played 16 games and Darren Sproles, you know, his situation is kind of unstable. So Wendell Small, Smallwood can be one of those guys to where he does absolutely nothing and or he takes really all of the value from this backfield and becomes one of those huge rookies that you need to own or, or grab off the depth chart um, in 2016. So, um, but as it stands right now, it's, I think it's Ryan Matthews, number one, Darren Sproles. It's kind of that, uh, the number two with a decent catch floor who uh, I think is a great guy to pick up in best ball. And Wendell Small, Smallwood is, I don't think he's a bad handcuff, but I, I think I'm going to need to see more before I really start grabbing him in uh, best ball leagues or, or redraft leagues. Yeah, I agree with a lot of that. You know I'm more into Smallwood, Smallwood than you are. But mm-hmm. even liking him as I do, I don't think he's going to be a big issue for Matthews. Like I, definitely, I definitely see him as more of a true handcuff than a guy who's going to siphon like 40% of the work. Um, and like you said, I mean, the, the one thing that the Doug Peterson offense has done very well is establish the running back. Um, especially obviously for fantasy. Uh, now Ryan Matthews is not Jamal Charles, but he is still very, very good. Like the only, the issues with Ryan Matthews have had nothing to do with what he can do on the field. It has everything to do with just staying on the field. 
So uh, that part of it, I think, and, and that's really the part where I think small would end up having value. But yeah, I definitely agree. Like Matthews is the guy you should get a decent amount of work. I think I started working my projections today. I think I had him somewhere in the neighborhood of like 260 total touches, maybe a little bit more. Uh, so that's, that's kind of like where I'm ballparking him right now. Makes sense. Yeah. Are you, are you projecting Darren Sproles still being on the roster? Yeah, but I, I tried to like minimize his role because I, I don't think, I think the fact that they picked Smallwood and they were like kind of talking about moving Sproles just tells me that even if he's there, he might not be a big, a big factor. His like, his receiving like was kind of falling off last year. Like he was, uh, he was involved. But like his yards per target, like yards perception, like those things kind of fell off for him. So I'm starting to think like the age is definitely an issue. Yeah, yeah. I mean, at least it should be at this point. But I don't know. Darren Sproles to me, he just kind of seems like you know one of those players. that's like Coach Catnip. Like remember Ben Jarvis Green Ellis. Like coaches just loved him, even though he was woefully ineffective. You think Darren Sproles could be that guy? I mean, he's not ineffective right now, but he, he's he's getting pretty up there. Oh yeah, yeah, definitely. I mean, the thing it's kind of like uh. But it's like three-point shooters in basketball, you know, like the the guys who can just come in and pass block and catch passes, like those careers do usually last a little bit longer. At least I would think. Uh, but Sproles is, Sproles is time is definitely coming. Uh, Redskins. Yeah. Now, to me, this is really straightforward because I love Matt Jones. Uh, I think that Jones definitely ends up becoming the workhorse there. We saw him and Alfred Morris last year combined for over 300 total touches. Uh, I think that that's definitely in the cards for Jones or, you know, definitely in the range of outcomes for Jones. Uh, the team, I think might take a step back defensively. You know, they're going to play a little bit of a tougher schedule. I don't think that like, their overall record would be as good. So they might not see the same kind of game script situations that they saw last year. Uh, so that definitely hurts Jones a little bit. I, I do think that this team, I, I shudder to say, is probably at its best with Kirk Cousins throwing the ball. Yeah. So, uh, you know, especially considering that they did just draft Josh Doxson, like they already have Garcon, who's pretty reliable. They have Deshaun Jackson, who I love. Uh, so I, I don't want to say, like, I don't necessarily think Jones or any of these running backs are, like, huge touchdown total candidates. Uh, but if Jones is going to see a majority of the work and he is going to get close to 300 touches, like, that's, that is still value. Like, that's still weekly value. Um, the, you know, the NFC East overall defensively is not very good. So I think that Jones is definitely a guy you draft. Now, Chris, Tom- Chris Thompson, how much will he be involved past the receiving game? To me, that's kind of the X factor because I think Marshall, you know, whatever role Marshall has, I don't, I don't think it'll be like much past like the standard like running back two role for most teams. Like I, I still think Jones is the guy, but uh, how much they put Thompson on the field is going to really impact, uh, you know, not only Jones's rushing attempts but obviously his receiving totals, and that's going to be pretty big. Uh, especially if he's not scoring touchdowns in PPR leagues to, you know, to be, you know, not just a guy that you put in your lineup and you get like 10 points every week, but a guy that you can actually trust to have a couple big games. Yeah. Yeah. I can see it. It's, um, it's weird. You're kind of going down on them slightly and I'm finding myself, it's not like I like them. I guess I'm just kind of having to acknowledge the fact that it's a, such a good situation for Matt Jones. Cause I still think he's a horrendous player. I, I don't understand Matt Jones' truthers. It's like you're speaking Spanish to me. I, Just come to me. I, I, I guess I guess I'll try. I'll show up, you know, next week. See if I like it. Um, but yeah, I I don't see the, the talent is just not there to me. But you can't deny the opportunity. I mean, Chris Thompson 
while he was involved heavily in that offense last year, he's just a guy. He's not really like this, you know, explosive type athlete that you got to keep on the field for third down work. I, I think Matt Jones is only slightly less in, you know, effective than him in the passing game. Um, and, you know, I guess 260 touches and goal line touches is that's volume. That's a lot. It's a lot of volume. So I don't know. Maybe I'll, maybe I'll come around more and kind of start grabbing at him here and there. But do you, do you think his ADP is going to rise from here on out or just kind of stay at the same spot it's at right now? Uh, I See, that's a tough part. Like, I could see it coming off a, coming up a little bit, but I still think that, like, overall, people are down at running backs. And yeah. I don't like, I don't think people are going to look out to take a guy like Matt Jones that they might not trust. Like, I think. I think how you feel about Matt Jones is going to be how a lot of people feel about Matt Jones in terms of like his talent. What what if all this just kind of goes away and just the fantastic, the fabulous one, Keith Marshall, just you know breaks out and takes over this Redskins backfield? That's never going to happen. It could. No, it could. They happen. drafted him. No, he's hey, yeah, why not? Listen, he's a good athlete. It could happen, but he definitely has to like. He's still like a super long shot just because like he hasn't been a good college football player for like two years. Yeah, that's that's like the problem. Like, I mean, listen, he could definitely if he could show up and rip off like an eighty yarder, like in his first preseason game, and then I'm like, well, I just look like the guy, I look like the guy at the racetrack, just like rip the ticket up, throw it in the air. <laughs> I'd be doing cartwheels in my living room if Keith Marshall did that. Um, but until I see that, I'm gonna, I'm gonna kind of, I'm gonna not like completely disregard him, but I'm not gonna be like, all right, I'm worried about Marshall. I mean, you get you. You have the right take. You kind of got to disregard him at this point. It's just, it's just a waiting, wait and see kind of thing. Hope, yeah. hope it happens. Exactly, exactly. Uh, now the Atlanta Falcons will move on to the NFC South. The Atlanta Falcons, to me, are a really interesting team from the standpoint that I think, I think we agree in that we like Tevin Coleman. I think that we agree that we don't love Devontae Freeman. Like we might even go as far as to say Freeman is not a good running back at running. Um and I I like I really think that both of those things are fair. And at the same time, I'm not sure that it matters. Like it's so it's so like convoluted of a situation to me because if they had added some more receiving weapons, uh and they did add, you know, an Austin Cooper or Mohammed Sabu. But if they added like a true like secondary target hobby when they had Roddy White, I, I would have been a lot more off Freeman than I than I am now. Like I, I find myself owning a lot more of him than I ever wanted. Just because people are off him. Uh and this is just yeah. a team that that feeds the running back. Five hundred and forty two total running back touches last year, hundred and twenty one running back targets. Like that's just that is an obscene amount of work, especially in the receiving game. And Freeman is gonna be is a huge part of that part. Uh, we're still not really sure that if Coleman can do that. And yeah, like I, I think another, maybe not 300 touches for Freeman, but like even if he only gets like 200 rush attempts this year, like let's say they do, they, let's say they do do like what kind of what we think they should do and, and give Coleman more rush attempts. Like even with 200 carries, like Devontae Freeman's going to be a top five running back if he catches the ball 60 times again. Uh, and that's, that's kind of where, where I'm at right now. Like Freeman, Freeman is like, he's like, I guess the opposite of Batman, right? Like he's not the it's not the hero we want, but he's the hero that we, we get, you know. <laughs> Maybe slightly deserve. Yeah, we slightly deserve yeah. him. Yeah, I mean, it's hard because I I started out so so anti Freeman 
But the more you look at it, the more you look at the situation, the ADP is somewhat justified. Now, you got to really take into account that those four games were... I mean, they happened. The talent is clearly there. But they were somewhat outliers relative to the rest of the season for him. Um, He was definitely not a bad running back by any means in the second half of the season, but he was not near the level of what he achieved in that that stretch of games. Um, But yeah, like you said, with him not really adding a serious number two target, um, yeah, I guess they have Mohamed Sanu, but are they truly going to feed him to the point where he's going to be uh, like forced into a number two role or are they going to kind of see who's the better between the two of Devonta Freeman and Mohamed Sanu? I don't know. Um, but I keep coming back to the, to the idea that Devonta Freeman is not a bad pick, but the range of outcomes seems pretty vast to me considering, you know, just he was very volume dependent last season, 266, I think 265 rushes or something like that. Um, near a hundred targets, it's very unlikely he sees that again. And if he needs that to produce, um, if you knock that total, like that carry total down to like 140, 150, you know, with a Tevin Coleman split, I don't think he's anywhere near the value to where he used to be. And especially at the goal line, if he doesn't score as many touchdowns, um, he's essentially kind of like a, I'd say much more of a fourth or fifth round pick. So considering the risk that you have to take to take Devonta Freeman um, for the possible upside, I mean, I don't know. I think I'd rather just look elsewhere with my first round pick. Um, not to say it's a bad pick, but I think I just kind of, I'd take my risk elsewhere. I could definitely see that. Um, I, I did get Freeman at like the end of the second round in the road of his um nfl 10 and i just thought well, that that's was like, fantastic yeah i just thought that was egregious yeah so if he's yeah, gonna that, if he, that's... If he, yeah people are gonna be like oh like i hate freeman and he ends up there i'm gonna be like all right well i'll just i'll just take him. Like, <laughs> yeah. i'm not gonna I, cut I, off my nose by my face yeah exactly i i guess i was kind of speaking you know about him relative to his kind of late round early second round adp that he typically goes to that's yeah. what, that's at least that's where i was thinking Oh yeah, I mean, I, you could definitely get, you can definitely pass on him there. Like, I, I'm not saying that you should or shouldn't. I'm just saying I, I buy it if you pass him there. Like, that's I can get them on that. But maybe, maybe the listeners can can take that to heart. If you're in Rotovis degenerate MFL tens, he's a value, dude. I'm mop, I don't, I don't, I don't want to brag, but I mopped up all the value for the first like four rounds of that thing. No, <laughs> I, love, I love my team. It's not, look, it's not even close. I look forward to taking your money, Heath. Now, yeah, good luck. Good uh, luck. <laughs> Tens, tens of dollars will be mine. Tens of dollars. Uh, <laughs> anyway, let's move on to the Panthers. He, uh, this is, I, it's kind of boring, I guess, in a backfield, but there's definitely things to talk about. What do you think about, uh, Carolina? Yeah. I mean, is there a lot to talk about? Like you said, it's, it's horrendously boring. I mean, very high in, you know, running back total touches, but, God bottom i think they're dead last in terms of passes to the running back position which is and they really have no one who can catch a pass in carolina so i guess that might be the reason why um it's just going to be a lot of straightforward running with jonathan williams jonathan yeah jonathan williams jonathan Jonathan stewart Stewart. excuse me you just combine you just combine jonathan stewart and d'angelo williams into one all powerful (laughs) running back that's what you jonathan williams (laughs) <laughs> maybe you might be a decent fantasy back then. Um, yeah. But yeah, anyway, it's it's going to be a lot of, you know, 
for you guys who draft Jonathan Stewart, it's just going to be a lot of hoping he scores a touchdown. He doesn't get sniped at the goal line by Cameron Newton. Um, Kelvin Benjamin's back, so that's definitely not good for him in the red zone. It's yeah, I, I'm not a I'm not a big fan of really anything out of this backfield, even though it's very high in total carries. I'm just I'm just not interested. Yeah, I mean Stewart's the guy that at the end of the year is going to rank decent, like probably like in that around like 16 like rb 16 range because he's probably gonna play you know if he plays all the games he'll score touchdowns you know but the thing is that like his points are gonna come like in bunches like i'll have two tds and then he'll do nothing you know and that's that's hard to own and hard to to play weekly yeah yeah i'm kind of looking at him right now as like a a slightly less variance jeremy hill from last season uh yeah no i definitely get behind that i think that's a really good comp the saints now i have some saints takes Heath. Okay, that's um, Because they have a lot of dudes. Okay, they have Mark Ingram. Kyrie Robinson is gone, but they brought back uh, Hightower. They still have CJ Spiller for goodness only knows what reason. Uh, they paid him nine million dollars. Yeah, they're like, I guess we'll just pay you and keep you here. Um, and they drafted Daniel Lasco, who is who's very athletic. So, and they have Travis Cadet, who's whatever. So. I think that this backfield is in a good spot, obviously, right? Like the Saints, the Saints crush offense. They're always in really good scoring positions. Like they do throw a lot in the red zone because they have Drew Brees, but they're always going to be a team, uh, you know, that kind of ends up with a lot of, you know, a lot of red zone rush attempts and stuff like that. Um, so from that perspective, and just as a, you know, frame of reference, like they were top, they were top five last year in rush attempts inside the 10. So from that perspective, like Ingram looks really good, but I really think that what Ingram did last year was, was kind of an aberration. Uh, I did this study, uh, for a number fire where, uh, I basically took the, the advanced metrics there at number fire, uh, specifically rushing successes, which is just any rush attempt that, uh, creates positive net expected points which just has to do with um basically like the value of every play uh, relative to you know like other plays and that's in you know in the same situation so like first and ten like you know whatever like if you gain eight yards like what does that do for the drive like how many points could you be expected to score on that drive after rushing for eight yards you know versus however many you could have been expected to score before that play happened um, yeah so that's basically net expected points so I took, uh, I created running back score, which is basically rushing successes per game, uh, times nine, uh, plus reception net expected points. So it was, uh, net expected points, uh, obviously gained through, uh, receiving. Uh, and then I basically just did a regression between that and fantasy points per game. So pretty predictive, uh, like really strong correlation, 0.82, uh, R squared. And, uh, you know, just based kind of on this study, Mark Ingram last year, you want to guess how many points points per game he scored over like what he would have been expected to score given his performance? Oh, it's got to be pretty darn high. Points per game. So it's not, you know, it's obviously not like in the tens. Four? Uh, 4.95. Oh, Fantasy points goodness. per game. That's a really, really high number. <laughs> um, to give you like an idea, like his running back score was closest to guys like Sharkhandrick West. Uh, Chris Johnson, uh, and Eddie Lacy, the fat version. So <laughs> like, I'm glad you clarified he, that. Yeah, no, because the, the thin Eddie Lacy we're going to talk about later, and he's the guy I want. 
but uh, yeah. fat Italy season now. So, like, Ingram basically, like, he benefited from situation, and I don't think his situation is going to be much different than last year, but I just don't think that, like, doing what he did, which is basically not not being very a very successful runner and not being a really efficient receiver, like, I just don't really think that there's a reason for them to keep him on the field exclusively, uh, especially when Hightower was very good for them last year and a couple of those other guys I think can fill roles. Uh, they, you know, they really do have, especially if they keep – you know, assuming they keep the guys that they drafted, like they really do have a lot of guys in that backfield. And I'm just not really into Mark Ingram. Like he's, he's, you're going to have to draft him kind of high. And I think at the end of the day, like I don't think that this backfield shakes out as like Mark Ingram and everybody else. I think it kind of just ends up being like maybe mostly Mark Ingram, but not enough Ingram where he's going to like really dominate. Yeah. I, I completely agree with you. I've come to the same conclusion, but. The only, the only hesitation I really have is there's one thing that Mark Ingram has in this offense right now, and it's it's volume. He's got the belief of the coaching staff that for some reason they think he can catch well. He can't. He he saw sixty passing targets last season, and I mean his stone hands. That's probably probably an understatement for Mark Ingram. Um, he's just a straight ahead runner, and he really wasn't even all that good at that. He, he was terrible inside the 10 still scored a decent amount of touchdowns. Um, the problem is, is, do you see anyone behind him that could overtake him and kind of take that lead role, um, for an extended stretch of games beyond like four games? Cause I think you made a, a good point with Tim Hightower, but Tim Hightower kind of came at that point where it was the end of the season where we've seen, you know, guys who were maybe past their prime come in fresh and really take advantage of some worn-down teams. Um, can he do that over an entire season? I don't know. I, I would venture to guess no, and that's kind no, of No, definitely hesitation. not, definitely not. So, I don't know. Um, Daniel Lasko, I, I don't think he's really a complete back by any means. C.J. Spiller, I think they want him to be something. Um, you know, he, <laughs> relative to dollars spent, they had the highest expectations for him. Um, but I just don't see it. Maybe he comes around. I don't know. It, it kind of, I'm kind of in the Devontae Freeman type of thinking to where it's, I know the volume's going to be there. And if the volume's there, you got to at least kind of um, consider him where, where he's going at his ADP, which I think is like mid, is it end of second or is it mid second? Uh, I would have said end of second, but I do not have it in front of second. Yeah, something like that. Anyway, but he's not a guy I'm going to be looking at a ton. Um, I think he's fairly limited in his skill set. And when New Orleans does find a guy who can do slightly better, I think they will go with him. But I don't know. For the time being, he's kind of he has that volume wrapped up. It's two. It was a two years running now to where he's kind of had that that job, that number one overall job locked up. Yeah, I guess. I guess for me is that like it's like last year they had 525 total touches. Like I could see. I could definitely see that being like only like 200 for Ingram and like, you know, a bunch of these other guys just like split up the rest. Like that's kind of what like, like I definitely think that Ingram leads the team in touches at the end of the year. I just don't think the gap is as big as it, you know, as we might've thought it was at this time last year. Yeah. The, the part I just want to figure out is who's going to be the pass catching back. Are they still going to stick with Mark Ingram? Because there's, oh, a, there's a ton of value if they don't there. Throw a sp- if they don't throw passes to CJ Spillery, I'm going to rage quit so hard. <laughs> On the Saints. Like, I'm just going to be so mad. Not because, like, not because, like, um, you know, because I believe C.J. Spiller is good, but because why the heck is he still on your roster then? 
you know? Like, yeah, yeah, at least exactly. last year they could have argued, like, oh, he was hurt all year. Like, what's your reason now? It's been a year. And, and I mean, if he if he can come back and be kind of the flashes that he showed in, gosh, what year was it now? 2012? Or was it even gosh. before that? 2011 with the Bills? The Chan Gailey special? It was a long time ago. It was, it was a long, long time ago. ago. But just kind of an idea of the possible value relative to, you know, target opportunity. Um, the New Orleans Saints in 2014 were number one overall in targets to the running back position, I think 163, and they were number seven overall last year with Mark Ingram being their lead passing target in the running back position with 128 running back targets. So so if they do find a guy that they like, he's going to have a ton of value. Oh, 100%. They love their running backs and they love their tight ends. These things mm-hmm. we know to be true. Uh, let's move on to Tampa Heath. Two two kind of big names, I think, in this backfield. How how do you really see things shaking out here between uh, mainly Martin and uh, Charles Sims? Um, I am all in on Doug Martin. All in on Doug Martin. Um, he did a fantastic job last season, and I think it's I think it's more of the fact that I like Dirk Cutter so much and kind of the history he has with running backs, which I know is his objective argument. It's it's nothing objective, but I think he just does a he kind of has a track record of taking these guys and really. Uh, re-energizing their careers, like Doug Martin, he was just on he was on the border of being cut at one point, and he comes out and he had a top five running back season, and they showed a clear indication that they want him as their lead back. Uh, they even got him involved in the passing game, which I did not anticipate, you know, to that level that they would get him involved, but they certainly did. Um, was it seventy targets for Charles Sims, forty four for Doug Martin? Um, I, Sims was a guy, I think. He's not bad in the passing game, but is he that much significantly better than Doug Martin that they should justify taking him off the field? I'm not so sure. Um, so as of right now, I'm just kind of approaching it as Doug Martin is the guy to own, and Charles Sims is – I think he's a best ball kind of guy. Um, I don't view him as being a handcuff really as he's not a great between-the-tackles runner. I think it becomes more of a committee if Doug Martin were to go down. So it's kind of like – a. I don't know. It's kind of like a low floor, low no, maybe like higher floor, low ceiling type of third down back in Charles Sims. So I don't really have any interest with that. I'd rather just go, you know, I'd go elsewhere looking for guys in Charles Sims in the seven. So yeah, Doug Martin's my guy to own, and I'm not really looking anywhere else. Yeah, I'm with you on that, especially if like Vincent Jackson kind of falters a little bit. Uh, I could definitely see them trying to leaning on that their on game a little bit more. Like I, I think it's a big bounce back year for like guys like Evans. Like I think ASJ could like be alive this year. Kenny Bell. Um, oh gosh, yeah, your your boy Kenny Bell. But you know, if they're gonna throw the ball to running backs, I, I guess it's Charles Sims mostly. But like you said, like they threw the ball to Martin a ton. They could definitely have both those guys in the field at the same time if their receivers aren't that great and. Yeah, I mean, 288 carries last year is a really high total. Especially That's a hefty NFL. workload. Yeah. Yeah. And he handled it. So, I mean, hey, Doug Martin, I agree, is the guy. We'll see, you know, just how valuable Charles, Charles Sims is. But like you said, like, I think without an injury, it's going to be really hard to predict, kind of like when he's good and when he's not. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So, Dougie Fresh all the way. Oh, yeah. So, let's – uh, we're going to move on to the Bears. And the Bears are a really interesting team. And also a really difficult team for me to kind of, uh, to break down because like I love Jordan Howard, uh, and I, and I'm like lukewarm on Jeremy Langford. Like Jeremy Langford to me is just like a jazz. Like I don't think he's special. 
I don't think that there's anything that he does that is like irreplaceable in like a vacuum. But I don't think that like I don't think that like Jordan Howard is going to come in and just like eviscerate Jeremy Langford. Like I I think like the best case I think like the most realistic scenario is like almost a dead split between these two guys. Where like Jordan Howard is because I think Jordan Howard's a really, really good runner. Um, but I don't know if he can receive. So, like, I could definitely see a situation where it's Jordan Howard for, like, you know, uh, 180 carries or 200 carries. And then it's Langford for, like, 120 carries or 150 carries. Uh, but then the receiving workload kind of skews towards Langford. Because um, he did have more experience with that in college. Now, Langford was, like, never an efficient receiver. Um, you know, 5.6 yards per reception in college, like really, really bad. Uh, Jordan Howard, 10.9 yards per reception. So like you would think that like that means that Howard's like a really good receiver, at least like with respect to Langford, but I'm just not sure that the team's ever going to see it that way because I, I just think that like coaches get these narratives in their heads like, oh, this guy does this and this guy does that. And I just think that teams look at Jordan Howard and the first thing that they say about him is, oh, like he's a great running back on first and second down. They look at Jeremy Langford and they say, oh, like, he's a really good, you know, pass catching running back. And I don't think teams move off those narratives. So, uh, you know, especially with, uh, Doal Logan's calling Howard more of like a change of pace guy, I, I just really don't see this being like anyone. Yeah. I don't really see this being anyone's backfield straight up. So I, I'm probably avoiding both. Uh, that said, I did trade for Jeremy Langford in that, uh, in that league with you, Heath. Mm-hmm. Uh, the uh, RSO league. So, I mean, I hope I'm wrong and that Jordan Howard is, is awful and Jeremy Langford gets all the work, but I, I just don't think it's going to happen. I think it's going to be as close to a 50, 50 split as you can get in today's league. I don't even think it's going to be that. I, I think people underestimate just how much they, for some reason, like Kadeem carry. And I'm kind of under the impression that it's, you know, like you said, you know, Dow is it Dow Loggins. Yeah. I don't know Logans? how you pronounce it, but we're on the same name. Low, low gains, low gains. Yeah, offensive low, coordinator low gains for no gains. I'll tell you that. <laughs> yes, offensive coordinator of the Tennessee Titans from 2012 to 2013, prime years, prime years. Um, yeah, now now he's in charge of this fantastic offense. Um, yeah, this team is just, I don't know that. So let me break it down like the way I see it. So Jeremy Langford could possibly be big time. He could he could take up a lot of touches. You know, Matt Forte gone, that's 218 carries and 58 targets out the door that need to be replaced if they meet the same levels at which they were last season. However, that was an Adam Gase offense. I'm not really predicting a, you know, predict, you know, a, a creative, highly efficient run offense with John Fox and Dow Loggins. I'm expecting much more straightforward, boring football that spreads the responsibility across all three of Jeremy Langford, Jordan Howard, and Kadeem Carey. Um, not to mention, we have Alshon Jeffrey and Kevin White are gonna probably going to be back on the field. The defense, you know, the bottom 10 against the run in 2015, they really didn't get all that much better. Um, you know, I, I checked out the pass statistics because it didn't really make a lot of sense to me. They were like number four in yards given up um, against the pass. However, I think they were, yeah, they were bottom five in terms of passes thrown against them. So teams were just, they were just doing whatever they wanted and they just kind of wanted to run, you know, run the clock on them, just, you know, throwing the running back at them, which they couldn't really stop. So couldn't do much. Um, 
so I'm predicting it's going to be a lot more pass-oriented type offense, um, but it doesn't really mesh with John Fox, and I don't know. It just, to me, I'm just kind of thinking of this backfield as one I'm probably going to avoid altogether, unless I get a good deal, like on a Jeremy Langford, like if maybe I'm kind of on a Rotoviz draft and everyone has the same idea as me, I play a little contrarian and take a, a round or two, you know, later value on Langford, maybe I'll do that, but I think I'd much rather look towards just Alshon Jeffrey, Kevin White, and just kind of kind of stay there. Uh yeah, and I I actually forgot about King Carey, um, and I think you make up a you know make a good point bringing him up. The other thing I didn't mention is is Foxy. John Fox is all about all about two man backfields. Like he was doing it. Oh, before he loves it. Yeah, he is. He is. He he is the original RBBC contrarian. Uh, yeah. <laughs> So, I mean, that's, like, another reason why I'm just kind of like you. Like, I'll, I'll probably just avoid this where I can. And, and boy, does he love spoiling your fantasy teams. He even, like, mentioned it a couple times in the news, which I thought was really weird. Yeah, you like, jerk. He, he, he was. Everyone's playing Matt Forte, and he ran Kadeem Carey out there just to spite the fantasy world. What a jerk. Yeah, because <laughs> he didn't say this, but, like, I love, like, when guys, like, after the game, like, mention stuff about fantasy like there's like oh well probably wasn't good for people's fantasy teams like oh thanks dude that was me (laughs) jerk uh (laughs) we'll move on to the detroit lions he uh i know you have some love for amir abdullah oh boy Uh, tell me some things all right so i'm gonna go on a little bit of a rant here so so bear with (sighs) me yes i love Um, so i think people are severely misunderstanding kind of what is what the actual opportunity is for Amir Abdullah. So when it comes to PPR running backs, the Detroit Lions the last two years, they've been the go-to team. Um, Top five in targets to the running back position with 159 targets in 2014, 167 targets in 2015. It's a very valuable position, excuse me. Now Joyke Bell is gone. So depth chart is Amir Abdullah, Theo Riddick, and Zach Center. So they'll this this begin with Zenner, so I know we love him. Draft Twitter, the fantasy community, he's a fantastic player. But me and Anthony, it's we're we're, we're Zenner, just fan, uber fans, right? Is, uh-huh. is that fair to say? Oh, uber fans, uber fans. You could even say um, Lyft fans. <laughs> yes. Oh boy, we're just gonna throw that one out there to stop everything, aren't we? <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Um. Well, he's a fantastic player, though. He he's he's an undrafted free agent. You know, these guys they typically get responsibility when the team kind of has no other option to go to. Um, they showed a liking to him last season, but it really wasn't one that I thought would ever threaten um, the guys ahead of him. He kind of, if I had to guess, his ceiling is probably going to be like five touches a game, with the greater likelihood of it being around three touches a game, maybe even nothing at all. Um, so, yeah, I'm not really viewing him as a, as a real threat. Now, theoretic, the team loves him, and I, and I think they are justified in, in liking him a lot. He's been very effective. Um, he's been very reliable, and he was definitely more effective and efficient than Abdullah last season. He averaged 8.71 yards per reception to Abdullah's 7.32, and it was over a much greater number of targets as well, or receptions, excuse me. However, it's easy to forget that last season was Abdullah's rookie year. You know, we always say the running back position is the easiest position for a rookie to, you know, to pick up and kind of, you know, hit the ground running with, but that's not always the case. 
Um, you know, Le'Veon Bell had his struggles in Pittsburgh before becoming the number one running back overall, I think, is the very next year. Sometimes guys need a year to adjust their games to the NFL, and that would definitely fit for Abdullah. Um, in terms of physical measurables between the two, um, Riddick and Abdullah, they're worlds apart. You know, Abdullah had a fairly, it's somewhat slow, 40 time, 4.6 seconds. But outside of that, he was just fantastic. Agility measurables are in the 100th percentile for NFL players. Spark score in the 99th percentile. And he was highly, highly productive in college. Now, Riddick, his best metric is his agility, which is right around the 40th percentile of NFL players. But... And outside of that, including 40 time, it's 15th percentile and below. Um, we're talking like Jarvis Landry level low type of you know type of numbers. Um, which isn't to say he can't be a good player. It's just I think that, that, that somewhat caps the ceiling. Now, the big reason why I prefer Abdullah over Riddick is the projected touch split. So like I mentioned earlier, targets of the running back position on the Lions over the last two years, it's been a lot, 159 and 167. In 2014, the splits between Reggie Bush, Joyke Bell, and Theo Riddick were very close. Bush saw 56 targets, Bell saw 53, Riddick saw 50. In 2015, Riddick saw 99 to Abdullah's 38. Now that you add the fact that Joyke Bell's 27 targets are now gone from the team, that opens up a ton of targets for Abdullah if you see this this target split going to you know a closer 50-50. And if the Lions approach to you know that same level of targets like 160, is it unreasonable to say that Abdullah sees half you know half of those right around 75 to 80? I mean that'd be like doubling his total from last year, and he's gonna get the early down touches. So we could have a guy who could see. I, I don't think I don't want to go too high on like early down work, but 150 to 200 I think is reasonable to say. And if he saw kind of that you know that reasonable split of targets. We're talking about a guy who could just be, you know, gangbusters in terms of fantasy football. And we haven't even seen him play to the level that a lot of people expected him, you know, coming out of college. Last year, a lot of fantasy analysts were drafting him in that fourth to fifth round area because we, you know, we expected a lot. The guy was fantastic in Nebraska. And and now just in one year with a situation getting much better, with him now being the expected lead back in this offense, um... He's going in the seventh round, eighth round, and sometimes beyond that. And people are starting to take Riddick in front of him. Riddick is nice, but he's limited. You know, Abdullah is an explosive player. I mean, is it unreasonable to say he gets 200 rushing touches, 80 targets, top five running back in fantasy? I see it. Uh, If he gets that workload, I mean, then yes, I'm on board. Yeah, this offense is going to have to change. I, I know a lot of people are going after Golden Tate. And thinking, well, yeah, so Calvin Johnson's missing, so now it's Golden Tate. That's not how it works. Golden Tate is not Calvin Johnson. Calvin Johnson was a freak in, in so many ways. They they crafted their offense around him, and now they're going to have to change their identity. And personally, I think it's going to be moving less in the passing game and putting the game on Stafford's shoulders to more relying on the you know the running game. They ex- I think they invested uh, three picks in the offensive line this season in this draft, including a first round pick. Um, yeah, it's I see Abdullah, Abdullah, Abdullah being just one of the best values right now, and pretty much anyone you talk to is going to be lukewarm to completely out on him. So I don't know how much I'm going to get of him. In MFL 10s, I've already got like two or three shares, like 50% ROI share. Um, ROI share. No, just total shares of, them, of the MFL 10s that I've done. 
But I'm I'm gonna have a lot more. I'm probably gonna have him like in every redraft league. I uh, I liked a lot of that Heath. I didn't know you had so much passion for Amir Abdullah. Oh, I love him. Um, the upside is definitely there, and I and I like I will say like this year you definitely get him at like a discount to what you were getting him at last year. That's like the crazy thing about about like rookies, right? Is that like the guy comes in and he has like that one preseason run. I know you know what I'm talking about. Mm-hmm. And like that happened, and like Twitter blew up, and the internet blew up, and it was like, all right, like now we love Amir Abdullah. Um, but like that shouldn't have been like, I mean, that was just something we saw, right? Like, we knew that was going to happen. But like, is his situation like really any different than it was last year when we left it's him better. in like, the fifth round? Right. It's probably better, if anything. Yeah. So I definitely get behind that. Uh, the other interesting thing to me is that like last year, I did uh, this thing on Rotoviz where I looked at like successful second round running backs. Um, and like as rookies, like the big thing was heavier player and like not as good of a player ahead of them. So like last year, like the two examples were like Yeldon and Abdullah, right? Like, so I was team Yeldon last year because like Yeldon's weight was like one of the biggest uh, you know, statistical things like in that whole group of second round running backs. Like, if you weighed more and the guy ahead of you, or the guy that was there already wasn't that good, like you're probably gonna be pretty good. So he was heavy. Then all Robinson was ahead of him. So I went yelled him. And I, fa- and I really, I had like very, very little Abdullah. Um, just because I was, I, I didn't think he'd get the work and he didn't get the work. But in year two, those like agility guys, um, you know, like Abdullah, LaShawn McCoy, Jamal Charles, um, I'm trying to think of like a couple other guys off the top of my head, but like you know, like the kind of player I'm talking about, like the guys that are lighter but have like the sick agility numbers. Those guys do really well in like year two, year three. Like that's when it just takes those guys, I think, a little bit of time maybe to get acclimated. I think part of it is that like their coaches aren't as willing to give them work because they aren't big players. I think that's probably the biggest thing, honestly. Um, so like I I like Abdul a lot. Like he is he's definitely a guy like you said that like you can you can draft and he has all the upside of the world. Like cause he's as talented as like a shady McCoy. Like I, I'm oh, really yeah. com- I feel really comfortable saying that. So like yeah like if they decide to not go with these other guys and they have a lot of guys, but if they decide to set to go with Abdullah and mostly Abdullah, like he's gonna ball. He's gonna oh ball. yeah. And I think the biggest thing stopping stopping him, like we said in the last podcast, is Riddick. Um, but like we said, like if he goes to more of like that receiver role as a receiver and he's not taking like the snaps from Abdullah, that's really good. And if they just limit to like Zenner to like the short yard stuff, like that's good. You know, like, I mean, cause you're probably not really expecting Abdullah to run for a ton of touchdowns anyway. Um, so that's not really a big deal. So yeah, I mean, I, I I'm with you. I'm with you on Abdullah. You're, you're like you podcast by podcast. You're like getting me to be more on him. Yeah. I'm all about him, and and don't don't think that Amir Abdullah is, is kind of like this really small running back who's only good in the open field. He's you know fairly high BMI five nine two oh five. He's not a small dude. He can handle but you know between the tackles type stuff. I, I think Zenner would be better at the goal line objectively, um, just kind of given the size differences. But I can see him throwing him in there a couple times at the goal line. I don't think it's unreasonable. Definitely not unreasonable, but I don't always expect coaches to be reasonable. We are dealing um, with Jim Caldwell here. Jim Bob Cooter, you show some respect. Yes. Uh. Well, well <laughs> I, for, I forgot about Jim Bob. He maybe he's going to take the reins, get Caldwell out of the uh, out of the offense. 
He was good last year, I thought. I thought he called good plays for that team, especially for Stafford. Very true. Um, Very true, yeah. So we'll move on to the Packers because I have to talk about thin Eddie Lacy. Um, objectively thin Eddie Lacy. So it's like, here's, here's the deal with Lacy. All right. Uh, and you know us, right? On this show, we made fun, we make fun of Eddie Lacy. Um, yes. we're not shy about that. I will but, continue to make fun of Eddie Lacy. Oh, 100%. But here's what you have to know about Eddie Lacy. 2013 as a rookie, 284 carries, 35 receptions. As a sophomore, 246 rush attempts, 42 receptions. So really heavily used in the, in the receiving game, pretty heavily used as a runner, top eight running back as a rookie, top five running back as a sophomore. Then last year, he just ate his way off the court, right? Garbage. But the whole offense was much worse last year. Uh, sixth in points per drive, Lacey's rookie year, first in points per drive, uh, in 2014. 20th in points per drive last year once uh, Rodgers lost his binky in Jordy Nelson. Um, so the whole team was worse last year. Like, I, I mean, part of that is probably Lacey, but I have a really hard time believing that, like, when the best player on your team is your quarterback, that, like, the offense going from first to 20th in points per drive is on all on Eddie Lacey. So I'm really expecting, like, a lot of regression for them as a whole back to, like, their mean, which is probably, like, a top five offense. So if they're top five again in points per drive and they're getting all these like opportunities in the red zone, um, you know, obviously opportunities for touchdowns, like that's why we like Eddie Lacy to begin with. He's going to get all those things and they still don't have anybody really behind him. Like James Starks is all right, but like, he's not a threat, I would say, to take away serious work, like to, to totally exclude him. Because listen, like there were times last year where like you watch Eddie Lacy and you're like, this dude like should be cut. Like he shouldn't even be active on game day. Um, and they still, like, I mean, outside of like, a couple spots, really used him, you know, somewhat extensively. So I am really, really into Lacey's situation. And, I mean, listen, all by all accounts, the guy's lost weight. And you all know, like, the kind, the kind of weight that he had last year is not something that you won't see in a preseason game. Like, if he comes out week one preseason or week three or, you know, whatever, preseason, and he looks like the Hamburglar, you know not to draft him. <laughs> no, you probably shouldn't draft him. And even then, honestly, I'd probably think about it because his draft stock would probably go way down. But, like, that situation is just so good. Um, like, double-digit touchdowns is, like, a lock for him this year. If that a offense, lock? A lock. Oh, boy. If that offense, like, reverts back to what it was. Because he did it his first two years. Like, I don't really see why he wouldn't this year. It's very um, true. So I'm kind of all over Lacey. And that assumes that, like, Rodgers is back to, like, not being a which I'm not 100% confident in. <laughs> on Rodgers or the offense? Rodgers. I despise Aaron Rodgers. Oh! So take that with a grain of salt. Whoa! I, I just think he's super overrated. This is, like, not a take for Whoa. the show. This is not a take for the show, but, like, I just... Listen, dude, you're the best player in the league. Like, get it done without Jordy Nelson. Everyone else does it. Oof. All right? Jeez. I don't see... I haven't heard Russell Wilson or Cam Newton complain, and they've been doing pretty well. So, don't tell me that you got that you can't get it done. And don't stop taking shots down the field because you're scared. Just do your job and be the best player on your own team. So that's my take. I could give you like a whole podcast and not feel by. But I think he's super overrated. I had to um, take off my headphones. Yeah. Steaming. I will. <laughs> I expect to be added on Twitter about that and I don't care. <laughs> like you just Some like, Packers. listen, I don't want to monopolize the show, but like you find out what someone is made of in crisis. And Aaron Rodgers in crisis last year broke down like a five year old. And that's all I care about. Damn. 
Um, ruthless. Yeah. So if Rogers listens to the show, we got we lost a subscriber. I'm sorry. Sorry. Uh, <laughs> I still like you, Aaron. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that helps anything. Um, yeah, I, I'm with you. Back, back to back to uh, our Eddie Lacy takes. I, I'm with you. It's they they still love him. Anytime he was on the field and he wasn't absolutely just you know puking and farting his way to two yards per carry, they they really rolled with him and they made it a you know a point to stick with him. And James Starks was a clear handcuff. He was just playing so poorly to the point that they couldn't justify keeping him on the field for most you know most plays. And that should resolve itself. I, I guess we'll see. You know the Twitter pictures look good. You know he looks good and you hanging out the. So the P ninety X guy, um, Tony Horton. No more, tw- yeah. No, no more, no more uh, China food takes from his Twitter. No more finding random food in his sweater as of late. So, yeah, we can get a guy that you know it hasn't been that long since he was seen as the safe first round pick, and there was a lot of good reasons to justify that. No one really questioned it until everything just kind of fell apart. So yeah, I'm with you at a third round value too. I think he's going at. Um, yep. Like compared to a guy like Mark Ingram, I don't even think it's I don't even think it's an argument. Like it's very clear it's Eddie Lacy. And it's not close. Not even close. Let's move on to the Vikings Heath. Yeah, there's not much to not much to talk about here. Um it's Adrian Peterson still. North Turner loves him. They're gonna continue to give him the ball a ton. Um, base this offense around him. I think they're trying to build Teddy um into the the next kind of focal point of the offense, but I think that's gonna be like a year or two down the road. As it, this team is just not built to be a high, you know, high volume passing offense yet. So I'm expecting a lot more Adrian Peterson, a lot more just limited passing targets. Um, he's not going to be a very good value in PPR leagues, but he still possesses that upside of, you know, taking over games and over 100 yards and a touchdown every week, even against good defenses. So I don't like him. Um, I, I don't see the appeal as I, you know, of him as I play in mostly PPR leagues. Um, but, you know, it's, he proved that he still has it, even at his advanced age, that I can't really, you know, say Jarek McKinnon anymore is going to, you know, take over a large part of his workload. It's, they're just not into him, um, even though they kind of get him on the field in key situations, which is, I, f- I find is weird. Um, yeah, they're, Adrian Peterson's just still the guy, so. Totally agree. Also, hashtag free Jarek McKinnon. Right. Um. He is better for this offense than Adrian Peterson. I'm not sorry. Can I? Can I just say, North Turner? You're just. What are you? Th- why are? You, why is Matt Asiata seeing work over Jarek McKinnon? There is. There is no good answer to that question. Tw- Twenty nine targets for Jarek McKinnon. Twenty two for Matt Asiata. What are you doing? Like object. Like what are you doing? I, there's very it's few baff- times where I've been rendered speechless on the show. This is one of those times. It's baffling. It's. It's just. Yeah. So it's best just to move on. It, it is what it is. Yeah, it is what it is. Uh, NFC West, Heath, we'll start with the Seahawks, and we'll start with you. So, of all the backfields we discuss, I think this is going to be the one that has the most subjectivity involved, um, at least when it comes to my argument. Um, There's a lot of factors to consider, as not only is the depth chart changing, but the offense as a whole, I feel, is changing. So, you know, as we know, Marshawn Lynch retired last year. You know, guy was an absolute force in Seattle to the point to where they essentially crafted the offense around him for many years during the very successful Pete Carroll era. Um, now that he's gone and Russell Wilson's emerging, we've talked about this before, 
That landscape's changing, and it's changing dramatically. So over the last two years, the Seahawks have totaled 525 carries in 2014 and 500 carries in 2015. Good for number two and number three overall in terms of uh, running back carries in the NFL. Conversely, the Seahawks have thrown 74 and 76 passes to the running back position over the last two seasons, which has been bottom three in the league uh, both years. If you expect that trend to continue... So if you really expect it to continue, the clear choice to me is Thomas Rawls, and it's not close because he will see a ton of opportunity. As I see, it, if you know, assuming he's healthy, he's going to be the the between the tackles guy still. However, there's a lot of question marks on this team now. So first off, I think it's fair to say that the Seahawks have realized, you know, and have been, you know, that their identity isn't really a play fantastic defense and run the ball type of identity anymore. They've been moving much more towards Russell Wilson, and their actions confirm that. Um, While all of them haven't been as effective, um, they're definitely trying. So drafting Paul Richardson with their first pick two years ago, trading a first for Jimmy Graham, drafting Tyler Lockett, um, Kenny Lawler, I know was a late pick um, in the seventh round this year. And then they grab a guy, C.J. Proceis, that can catch passes out of the backfield, which has been an aspect they've been sorely missing um, in this offense for quite some time. And this defense is not what it used to be, as we saw at the end of last season, and it's not their fault. Um, They had a ton of defensive talent, and I think that was due to a handful of key players at very highly valuable positions, Richard Sherman, Russell Wilson, that were grossly underpaid. So it allowed them to free up, to go out and essentially buy up a ton of talent, you know, pay these guys their worth while they had guys that were grossly underpaid on, you know, rookie contracts, and they just come out with just so much talent on that team. Now those contracts are coming due, and they're having to pay them their value so Seattle can't hold on to a lot of the defensive talent they once had. Now we get to Thomas Rawls. So Rawls did look good last season when he, you know, was into um, fill in for Marshawn Lynch. But to call him a sure thing, I think is near downright lying. He's an, he was an undrafted free agent last season. It looked good. Um, you know, overtook Kristen Michael enough to the point to where they released him before the season started. But, you know, filling in for a guy for four weeks and taking over the entire, you know, taking being the number one guy in the offense for 16 games, completely different. Um, he was not a top prospect by any means. That's kind of why he wasn't drafted. Um, nothing stands out about him from his athletic profile, limited skill set, really can't do all that much catching the football, and he's recovering from a very serious ankle injury. That doesn't sound like a guy to me that a team will craft their offense around and approach 500 touches with. Now, I know this is a subjective, but logically, I think all of this translates to more passing and less focus on the ground attack. And with more passing comes a pass catching back in C.J. Proceis. Now, a lot of people followed the draft. They, they were very excited for C.J. Proceis. You, you know, you basically you flip on Twitter and you're going to see a reference from, you know, C.J. Proceis to David Johnson. Everyone got their, you know, hopes way high up. Um, it's not really due to the fact that I think David Johnson or C.J. Proceis is going to be this outstanding back, you know, doing everything in this offense. I think it's more just the role that they're going to ask him to fill is going to work so well with how the offense is going to operate. I see Russell Wilson seeing a huge uptick in passes. Um, 
And with that, why not? Why would you have a back who is not going to be a threat to catch a pass on the field? CJ Procise, he can do it in between the tackles. Maybe not as well as Thomas Rawls in his first rookie season, as I think he has you know a lot of things to learn. He only played one season at running back, but um, he has really no competition catching passes. And if that works out to be, and maybe even Thomas Rawls doesn't see the field. We're talking about a guy who, in CJ Procise, who could see a ton, ton of work in his first year. As I don't, I've never been a Christian Michael truther myself. Um, they may get him involved, but I would predict as a limited role, if anything. And Alex Collins is, he's Alex Collins. You know, he's just kind of a jag, in my opinion. So take the most talented pass catching back in this offense. Expect him to see an uptick in work, even though it's going to be, um, it's going to be away from the trend that Seattle has been going with, which, you know, I, I again, I'll state it's subjective as I'm just kind of giving my outlook of the offense in 2016 as opposed to years past. But, yeah, that, that's why I'm going to have a ton of C.J. Procise and probably very little Thomas Rawls, if any at all. Totally agree. I mean, give me all, give me all the receiving value that C.J. Procise will provide. And this team... Even when they've had other talented players in the backfield, I mean, Robert Turbin, I don't think stinks. Kristen Michael, um, at the very yeah. least, is like, all right, like they kept him, you know, like they, they kept him as a restricted free agent, like he's not bad. Uh, you know, they had Thomas Rawls at the same time they had Marshawn Lynch this past year, mm-hmm. uh, and they rode Lynch. So, like, I, there's definitely like the shot that like this is a one back offense. Um, not saying it will work out that way. But, I mean, it's definitely possible that they're like, all right, Protex can catch, he's not hurt, and he's 220 pounds, and he's a good athlete. Like, why don't we just keep him on the field the whole game? Like, that could totally happen. Um, And remember, Thomas Rawls was undrafted and isn't very athletic. Like, he is, he could very potentially just be a product of the system. So, there's no real reason for them to have, like, an allegiance towards him. And... I don't necessarily agree that the team's going to pass like abundantly more because I think like the biggest, I think like Russell Wilson is just way too efficient for that to ever happen. Um, but like, yeah, I mean, the team is going to accumulate a lot of yards through the air either way. Uh, so yeah, I mean, Procise, give me all the Procise. I don't want to really add too much because I think you just kind of summed it up really well. Yeah. Yeah. And it's kind of just back to that whole thing of, you know, everyone was really high on Thomas Rawls coming out of the season, but if they felt that, comfortable with them why would they draft Procise and alex collins exactly exactly totally agree. doesn't doesn't make a ton of sense four dollars um four dollars yeah <laughs> arizona cardinals i think we're gonna be a little bit differentiated here but i am all about david johnson uh on bell might be my rb1 uh, if it's not Le'Veon Bell, it's 100% David Johnson. Like, I love David Johnson. Excuse me. Great athlete. Okay. Last year performed really, really well. Average over 4.6 yards per carry, over eight yards per target, which is really, really strong for a running back. Um, and he did play receiver in college. He's similar to Procise in, in, in that way. Uh, you know, converted college receiver to running back. So he's going to always have value that way. Uh, I don't think Chris Johnson is good. Like I, I, he didn't play bad for the team last year, uh, and the offense is very good. But I just don't think that like you can look at what David Johnson did last year, and then look at, um, you know, Chris Johnson and say, yeah, I'm going to give this guy the ball. Uh, at least not like 
markedly, you know, markedly high. Uh, you know, the team allowed David Johnson to average 21.7 touches per game over the Cardinals' final seven games, including the playoffs. Uh, I feel like they trust him. He hasn't let them down in big spots. Like, I, I think all the kind of things that you were worried about, like from a coaching standpoint a year ago, uh, all those issues are resolved. And now David Johnson is just a guy. Uh, and I expect him to absolutely crush. I mean, last year he had 125 rush attempts and 36 receptions in the regular season, still had 12 touchdowns. So, uh, I could definitely see a scenario in which he, that, uh, you know, his touches could double. Like, I, I think like his touches could legitimately double next year and, or this year. And when that happens, he is going to be a top, like, you know, easily a top three running back and potentially the number one. Running. And I, and I will die on this hill. I will die on you this know, hill, Heath. Remember that <laughs> before you start this. I mean, you're not wrong about David Johnson. So he he was fantastic. Played incredibly well. Um, very, very talented in a fantastic system. High scoring offense. <clears throat> the only hesitations I have is it's not talent. It's workload. So this passing offense, very good. I don't think anyone would be unhappy having John Brown, Michael Floyd, or Larry Fitzgerald on their fantasy teams. But there's a reason we don't draft any of them highly. It's They're all good, but they're all limited in terms of opportunity because everyone else around them is good. And that's what I fear with David Johnson. And Chris Johnson, you're, you're right, he's not all that great. But like kind of like I said with, at the earlier part of the show with Ben Jarvis Green-Ellis, he's Coach Catnip. They, they just love him. They love that reliable guy who's not going to mess up on the field. He's um, going to do all the little things well. And maybe he's not as flashy as David Johnson, but, you know, he won't, you know, bring the – he won't bring the drive to a screeching halt with some, you know, kind of uh, rookie mistakes or kind of, you know, second round – second uh, year guy type mistakes. That's the only thing I'm worried about is I just don't see the workload being there to justify taking David Johnson – as one of the uh, very early guys. Early second round in that Jamal Charles area, I think I'd be much more okay with him. But when he starts approaching the area of like a Le'Veon Bell and taking him ahead of some of the much more reliable elite wide receivers, I think that's where I'm kind of I'm drawing the line. Uh, that's fair, I guess. I'm doing it because I'm big on running backs, as you know. You love them. Love them. I'm going to have first them First four rounds, running back, right? For, first four rounds. our MFL 10? I will write at least one piece this year advocating for RB, RBX5 as a yeah. draft show. Oh, RBX5? Yes. Oof. Yes. Or, or I might just call it robust running back. But I'm going <laughs> to, uh, I'm going to be all about it. Because yeah. I, I, like, I just think that, like, like, yeah, like the elite receivers are really good, but when running back is good, running back is king. And I think running back will be really good this year. So that's yeah. that's kind of my thought process. Last year was definitely a down year with a lot of the top guys going down that kind of dragged the average down. So, I mean, everything we had read and written about before this year was advocating early running back, at least in best ball. So I, I can get behind you. It's I don't think it's a bad strategy at all, and it might be the you know that contrarian strategy that wasn't contrarian once before, but you know could be the the more efficient way to go. Love it. Um, but I won't, I won't believe the point with more things that I've, that I've written. Uh, <laughs> we can move on to the next team. LA Rams. Go. Not much to discuss. 
Um, it's girly. It's girly. It's girly. It's all you have to know. Between the tackles, um, fantastic. Goal line, fantastic. He's doing it with a Swiss cheese, you know, offensive line. Um, he's going to be the focal point of this offense, 100%. And if, I know it, I know it's a big if, but if the Rams realize how good of a receiving back he is, I mean, sky's the limit. Like, we could see numbers that we haven't seen from a running back in fantasy football as this team is dedicated to him. And I think that it's really just going to take that kind of, you know, that, that realization that, Benny Cunningham isn't anywhere near the effective level of Todd Gurley in the passing game. Because I keep hearing that from fantasy analysts, and I want to get this point out there. Todd Gurley is a very, very good receiving back. They just didn't give him the opportunity to show himself yet. That's the only thing holding them back. It's just not enough opportunity. And if they give it to him, sky's the limit. Oh, I agree. I, that like I, I'm glad you brought that up, actually, because I've seen that take, too. And I'm always like... Because, I, I mean, like, I've written... That, like, I don't think Gurley gets a lot of receiving work, but that's just a work thing. Like, I don't think that, yeah. like, he is, he is, like, confirmed very, very good as a receiver. Like, that was probably one of his, that was, like, one of his big traits last year. Yeah. Um. So, yeah, I mean, if they do decide to give it to him, he's going to be, like, the nuts. But if they don't, I think he's going to fall off a decent amount because uh, that same, uh, that same analysis that I talked about before with respect to Mark Ingram, uh, Todd Gurley was second in fantasy points over expectation, uh, 3.13. Um, gotcha. And it's like the same kind of idea, right? Like, Gurley didn't really do much as a receiver, and the Rams' offense wasn't very good. So, like, Gurley just generated a lot of fantasy points off of, like, these really long runs. And, like, over time, those runs just aren't, that, aren't sustained, even though he's obviously very talented. So, if he doesn't get that receiving work, he's not going to be as good. But he's still, like, by far, like, the guy there. Yeah. Yeah, I agree with you. And I think the only thing that kind of keeps him, he should always be in the first round. I mean, in terms of talent um, and, and talent and opportunity alone, um, just him having the majority of the carries in this backfield and a run first offense. I mean, you got to take him. It's just, I think he could really breach like, you know, levels that we haven't really seen from a running back if they just give him the, the full workload. And you know what? Rookie quarterback, a lot of rookie wide receivers are probably going to hit the field with, you know, when Kenny Britt and, gosh, who was on the other side of him? Brian Quick, once they hit the bricks, you know, they might not have a tight end in Jared Cook to rely on for the rookie quarterback, but they'll have Todd Gurley. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Check down King? Check, eh, check down? They do have, but they did They did also draft, like, a ton of receiving options. Like, if they don't, if they don't have, like, two starting quality wide receivers after this year, they need to just like burn the whole thing down, just burn yeah. it down because yeah. like they they are trying so hard. Like they drafted Cooper, they drafted good Mike Thomas, yeah. Um, they drafted Higby. Like they are trying so hard to get good receiving options there. Um, yeah. But I mean, they are the Rams. Good Mike Thomas. I'm gonna. Have, I have him everywhere in Dynasty. I'm proud of you. Everywhere. You represent the brand of this show, Heath, by drafting mm-hmm. good Mike Thomas. Uh, we're going to wrap up with the 49ers, uh, another team that I love because I'm obviously team chip. Uh, and I've argued this on Twitter, like over the last couple of days. Um, like you want to talk about hills I will die on. Like I will, I will fall on my sword for Chip Kelly. Any hide day of hill? Week. Oh, I will, hide hill is lit. Um, <laughs> yes. because here's the thing. Like last year, like he was on the field a ton when he was healthy, eighth highest snap share among running backs. 
Um, Chip Kelly, obviously, we know is going to pump the tempo. So that means more opportunities overall for that backfield. So even if he's like not getting, even if like you want to say like, oh, like a Mike Davis or one of these other guys, like take some of the market share from him. Like there's going to be so many total rush attempts that he's still going to be really valued, uh, at least in terms of, you know, just like volume, right? Then we factor in, uh, last year did this thing about situational touches, which is basically, uh, red zone touches plus third down receptions. I'm sorry, uh, red zone touches plus third down touches. And Chip Kelly's Eagles were situational touch monsters, uh, 2013, 2014. I didn't, I have not run the numbers yet for last year. Um, and they obviously weren't as good. So the numbers went down, but they were like at an absurd clip of opportunities in the red zone and opportunities on third down for like, you know, for their running backs. They like Chip just loves to run the ball. So, and throw out the running backs. So like Hyde is going to get a ton of work. He's really good. I mean, like he's, he's not like, he's not like elite level, but he's definitely like above replacement level. And like he's played in like offenses similar to this. That Ohio State offense does a lot of zone read stuff. Uh, so like for him, I think that this is just a really good area of him in terms of comfort. Uh, and I, I just love Carlos Hyde. Like I, I know that like, I know the Niners aren't that good. Um, and maybe they don't like completely turn it around, but like, let's not forget the genius of Chip Kelly. Like he did take a four and twelve Eagles team and then win twenty games in his first two seasons as their coach with uh, Nick Foles. With Nick Foles and Chip Kelly is not the GM of this team. Uh, not mm-hmm. that I think Trent Baalke is like anything to write home. About. <laughs> that much better. Yeah. But like at least like at least they have Tory Smith, like who is an established deep threat in football, and they have DeAndre Smelter, who we both think is really good. Goat. Yeah, and they have Vance McDonald, who's okay. Like, I, like, I think that the team is going to be really impressive offensively. I think that Chip is going to take the, I, I'm just so happy for Chip because I can't wait for him to prove all the haters wrong this year. Uh, and for them to be productive offensively. And it starts with Carlos. Yeah. Not to mention the fact that, I mean, if everything is, you know, still remains, if this world remains just and the logic, you know, logic wins out, Colin Kaepernick should be starting quarterback of this oh, team. So, so sexy. I'm happy you brought that up. <laughs> yeah, and Carlos, you know, a running back with a running quarterback um, in a Chip Kelly system, it, it's it's incredible what can happen. And just the workload of the last two seasons, total running back touches in 2015, or let's start with 2014, uh, the Philadelphia Eagles were number six overall in running back touches and number one overall in 2015 in running back touches. Carlos Hyde really doesn't have a serious threat behind him i know mike davis is kind of the only legitimate argument uh to take some passing work but he uh he got his spot taken by sean drone last season if that kind of gives you an indication of how his career has begun so you know carlos hyde it's i didn't really anticipate you know kind of going all out for him but boy i i'm gonna be i'm gonna be throwing around some carlos hyde love this offseason i'm gonna have so much and let's not so forget, uh, Mike Davis played in the SEC, not the Pac-12. So Chip probably doesn't know who he is. Yeah, right. Um, another plus. Probably hates him for it, too. Yeah, exactly. Oh, yeah, we South. recruited him, and then he didn't come. Disgusting Gamecocks running back. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Give me my, give me my Carlos Exactly. Hyde. You and your pro-style offenses in the SEC. I, you disgust me. <laughs> um, but, yeah. Uh, any other takes you want to get out there before we wrap up the show? No, I think we got to wrap this one up. We, you know, we we tend to go long, but 
Uh, this is kind of one of those shows I think we had to go a little bit long on. So hopefully you guys enjoyed it. Stick w- stuck with us, you know, for the whole thing. Oh yeah, I mean, much like our draft, our draft breakdown, right? That's why we break it into two <laughs> shows. Yeah. Um, AFC next week, by the way. A- yeah, <laughs> AFC next week. Uh, that wraps up our show here at the Fantasy Forefront. Be sure to follow us on Twitter at the Forefront Pod for all the latest updates. Rate and subscribe to the show on iTunes, SoundCloud, and Stitcher. And if you want to support Heath and I, please pick up a Rotovis subscription through one of our pieces. You get access to all kinds of league-winning information, and we pick up a portion of the profits. Uh, special thanks, as always, to Rumford Johnny for the podcast artwork. We'll be back one next more, week with the AFC. One more quick thing. Yeah. Confirmed, we are going to the Rotovis radio channel as of June. Uh, let me double double check the date here. Uh, as of the first week of June, we will be premiering on Rotoviz Radio for our Monday show, which will now be a Sunday show, or record on Sunday, premiere Monday. Yeah, it's going to be pretty cool. Uh, obviously, big ups to all the guys at Rotoviz for giving us that opportunity. Mm-hmm. Um, and this is obviously basically an Easter egg if you decided to uh, listen to the length around. of the show. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but yeah, guys, thanks for sticking with us because the listeners are a big part of this. Uh, we're excited. And we'll talk to you guys soon.